we're looking at discipleship track three. It's actually called Embracing Spiritual Practices. That's what the track is called. And so we're essentially walking through spiritual disciplines. I'm using the word practices. I like that word. It comes right out of the, the world of athletes, uh, which I am not, but I can understand, you know, practice in the game. And disciplines are very important. We don't look at disciplines as an obligatory thing. We're not obligated to. We get to. We don't have to. We get to be with God. We get to serve. We get to read and study the word. We get to pray. We get to give and all of those things that we're going to talk about. And tonight, uh, we're, we're looking at the issue of prayer. Last week was session one. I talked to you about the practice of scripture. How do we read, reflect, and meditate on the word of God? And I pray that was a blessing to you. It's only the beginning. We were barely scratching the surface of what it really means to grab a hold of God's word and go deeper. But I have a few goals when it comes to the issue of prayer. This is an exciting session for me because I love, I love prayer. And I've been this way ever since I came to Christ. I've always been the young guy in the prayer room, and now I'm getting older. And so I'm not just the young guy in the prayer room, but I love it every time I see a young person in the prayer room, because I was 19 and I felt like my whole spiritual life was birthed in the prayer room and corporate prayer and the secret place prayer and uh, going on drives and praying. And so this is really close to my heart. And part of the leg of our mission is to reach up to God in passionate praise and prayer. This is our heart as a people. And, and as, if you walk with me for a long period of time, it's going to be contagious. You're not getting out of this. I promise you. <laughs> you might try. You're like, Pastor Ben's talking about prayer again. It's because it isn't contagious uh, in your life yet, but it's coming. And so I want to tell you the goals that I have up front. I've got three of them. And I pray that, that this is what we achieve uh, through God's word and, and by his spirit as we study tonight. First, is we wanna have an understanding of what prayer is so that we know what we're doing, amen? No assumptions here. We wanna look at what prayer is so that we know what we're doing when we do it. Number two, I wanna encourage a daily time of prayer where we both speak to God and we listen and hear his voice. Uh, that's what I want, number two. Number three, we wanna develop a lifestyle where prayer is an ongoing conversation throughout each day. And that's what I'm gonna encourage you toward as we continue to study. But I wanna do this. First, I wanna talk to you a little bit about the definition of prayer. Because most people think that they know what prayer is until they're asked to define it. And I know this because I've asked a lot of people, what is prayer? And often we don't lean towards a biblical definition. And I, and I know because when people respond with what prayer is, and I mean definition, not description. Everybody understands that, right? A definition is what something is. A description is what something's like. So when I ask people to define prayer, often you get a lot of answers. If you were just to Google, what is prayer? You're gonna get a lot of answers because we have a ton of church history, lots of traditions, lots of denominations, meaning we've got a ton of answers whenever you ask this question. So without assumptions, I want to actually walk through what the Bible teaches concerning prayer, its definition and its description, because I don't want us to live in any level of confusion or assumption. I think it's important just to go right to the source. What is the root system of prayer? What does it look like? But I want you to know when you, when you ask people, or maybe this would come from you, people might say, hey, you know, prayer is talking to God. Prayer is listening to God. Prayer is spending time with God. Prayer is worshiping God. Prayer is praising God. 
Prayer is talking to a dead saint. Oh, that's in some religions. All right. Sometimes, though, you'll hear all kinds of, uh, of things. For those of you that grew up Catholic, you know what I'm talking about. In the Bible, there's over 400 references to prayer using various words. Now, when I say pray or prayer, I also want to broaden this to supplication, petition, request, all of those words essentially mean the same thing. You go ahead and look them up in the dictionary, look them up in the Greek and Hebrew. They all kind of mean the same thing, just a little bit of a nuance. And every now and again, we try to break them down and define them differently, but they kind of all are in the same sort of family of words. So think about this. When you read these references, there's over 400 of them, consider what it is that we're talking about so that you know what the Bible actually means. But here's the common themes. If you were just to read all the references, say it took you a weekend, you would find the same theme throughout all of them. And that would be this. You would find that there was a person who was talking to God and making a request in the midst of a situation. They might be doing it fervently. They might be doing it loudly. They might be doing it quietly. They might be in a serious jam. They might just have a little problem, but they are literally in a context where they need God to do something and they are just simply asking him to do it. So a lot of the definitions that we have don't line up with at least the context of what you find when the Bible talks about prayer. And so I kind of come to this determination or even this conclusion um, that we just sort of have to go back to these words in a way and get really, really simple. So the Greek and Hebrew words for prayer almost always, and I mean 95% of the time, exclusively mean this, to ask or to ask fervently. That's it. What is prayer? Literal definition, to ask and to ask fervently. Sometimes you'll hear it this way, to make a request. When you look at the word intercession, intercession means to stand in the gap or it means to make a request on behalf of another. That's the difference between pray, prayer, and intercession. To make a request, to make a request on behalf of another. That is literally all it means. Everybody say simple. Yeah, this is too simple, isn't it? But that's why sometimes we get all mixed up is because we sort of add to the definition and all of a sudden prayer becomes this thing that is like far beyond us or even whatever it is that we do. Now, I want to define prayer because when you, uh, even further than this, because when you look in the context of, of where prayer is mentioned or talked about or somebody actually is praying in the Bible, you find that they're asking God to do something based on previous knowledge concerning his will. And so we just sort of have to assume that there's a a point at which a person grasps what God probably wants to do. In other words, they're not just reacting. They know that this is probably what God would do. And so then they're asking him to do it. And, And so this is why I define prayer this way to have a little bit more robust definition. Prayer is communion with God that leads to discovering his will and asking him to do it. That's the way that I define it because that way I'm including whatever brought us to understand what, a, what effective prayer would even be. That's why I include that. However, I do not think that it's helpful when we say, I'm gonna spend time with God in prayer and then we go and thank God for 30 minutes and we praise and we worship because what we're doing is we're saying worship was prayer. We're saying giving thanks was prayer. Friends, there's a reason why giving thanks is giving thanks. That's what it's called. It's important, but it's not praying. 
And this is where we get confused. We take all of these spiritual disciplines and practices and we put them into a big pot and we stir them around and we call all that prayer. That's not all prayer. That's giving thanks, that's worship, and that's prayer, that's making a request. Here's what I'm telling you. When I spend 30 minutes with the Lord, I don't spend 30 minutes saying, Lord, would you do this? Lord, would you do this? I mean, I can ask for a whole lot. I loved it when our kids were growing up and they were a lot younger because they wanted to get done with our prayer time. And so they, instead of asking all these simple requests, they would say, and God, we just pray that the whole world would get saved. You know, they just wanted to get the thing over with and go to bed. And so they cut to the chase. Like, hey, I'm not gonna start praying for Susie and Johnny and Bobby and whoever. We're just gonna, the whole world, Lord, every, I literally mean everybody, God. They understood just to get to it, you know, and you can, make a lot of requests inside five minutes. I can pray through a ton of my list in five minutes. So when I spend 30 minutes with the Lord, I don't call it prayer time. I call it spending time with the Lord because there's a ton of things that I do in the midst of all of that. And so I call them this, elements of prayer. This is the context of, of, of how I go about my prayer life. Our relationship with the Lord includes many more things than just making a request. But don't confuse what those are with prayer or making a request itself. I don't, I don't want you to be confused about that. We often refer to our daily time as prayer time, but I think it would be better stated, as I said, that we, we spend time with the Lord. I'm going to spend time with the Lord. You'll hear me use that language, and it's intentional. It's not... Um, it's not a cliche. It's not something that I'm saying because I, I heard it or there's a Bible reference. It's like, I realize I'm trying to describe and encapsulate all of these things that I'm doing in my life with the Lord. Let me go ahead and tell you what those things are, the elements of prayer. Number one, personal self-reflection. Look what David said in the Psalms 139 verse 23. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me. What's he doing? He's not making a request. He's asking God to search his heart. This is a self-reflection and inviting God into a place of repentance is really what he's doing. And this is essential before we ever make a request because maybe we're gonna go to this quick place of making a request that God's not gonna answer at all because we need to clear out what's going on inside of us. So Lord, search my heart, clean me out, cleanse me. If there's something in the way or I'm blind to what you're saying or doing, I, wa I want you to, I want you to go ahead and cleanse that. Number two is meditate on scripture. I, al I also do that. When I meditate on scripture, it brings up in my mind and my heart that which I should pray about. I don't just rush on in assuming that, that I'm already carrying every burden of the Lord to pray it through or to intercede over it. I meditate on the word. I, I draw my mind um, toward his principles and his precepts. And as I do that, requests begin to come up in my heart, in my mind. That's, that's how it works. Otherwise, I may end up praying an unbiblical prayer. How many of you have prayed prayers before for a lengthy amount of time, and then you realize like you're asking God to do something, he's just simply not going to answer in the way that you're asking. Has that ever happened to you? Well, you may not be saying yes, because it might be happening right now. But as we meditate on the word of God, it's his word. And what happens is it stores something up in our heart and then biblical prayers and requests begin to come out of our mouth. The more we meditate on the word. And number three, silence and solitude. This is listening to the Lord. And we just did this in the prayer room and I asked for the spirit of prophecy to fall upon us. And I asked everyone, hey, let's listen to the Lord right now and let, let a prophetic word come forth. So we just, it's just 60 seconds. 
We just, we just sort of go silent for a minute, 60 seconds, and let the Lord bring something into our heart and mind. And guess what he did? He did exactly that. I think it was Dan, uh, Dan had something first, and then um, Roseanne, and then Jackie, and then myself. We all kind of had something. It was prophetic, but it didn't happen necessarily until we stopped to listen. I'm not talking about going off into the woods and becoming a monk. I'm just saying even, friends, even 60 seconds will change your prayer time. Even 60 seconds will change what you ask God to do because you listened long enough to capture his heart in some area. Number four is praise and thanksgiving. The psalmist writes, I will be glad and exult you. I will sing praise to your name. Hebrews 13, 15, I love this passage. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. And then he defines it. He says, the fruit of lips that confess his name. This is a sacrifice of praise. I love the term sacrifice of praise. The Psalms actually bring this up. You know, when I think of a sacrifice of praise, like I don't really sacrifice a lot when I praise. I love to praise. I love to sing to God. I don't know about you. I mean, I love to lift my hands and I don't turn around and look at any of you. I just want you guys to know that. I just praise. God's worthy of that. I mean, I might be the only one for all I know. I'm pretty sure a couple of people next to me are going for it, but I'm doing it because he's worthy. You understand? And so I, I, I love this when it says sacrifice of praise. What might he mean? Well, maybe when you're not feeling like it, it's a sacrifice because God's still worthy, even though I'm not sort of uh, feeling white hot with the love of God right now. And so it's a sacrifice for me to move toward the Lord in such a way, even if I'm not in that space where I'm all excited, that might be a sacrifice of praise. But there's praise and thanksgiving as we spend time with the Lord. There's also confession. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so when we spend time with the Lord, we want to confess our sin. We don't just haul off making a lot of requests. We, we, we ask God to search our hearts. Guess what? He will. And then when he does, he's going to bring something up. I hardly ever ask the Lord to search my heart and him be silent. I mean, it just sort of doesn't happen that often. It, it, there's occasions. Yeah, of course. But he brings things up and then we confess our sin. We get right with the Lord. And guess what? Your mind and your heart are clear and we become a more pure conduit for that worship, those requests, biblical requests to come through our mouth and our words. Six is worship. I, I don't believe worship is the same as prayer. Prayer isn't worship and worship isn't prayer. But there's a thin line between the, that, those realms of prayer and worship. We move from worship into prayer. Do you ever do that during a time of praise? Do you ever do, do that when we gather together to sing to God where you're worshiping and you're saying something about Jesus and then automatically as you're singing the song, you're like, I, I think I need to pray that and not just say that, amen? Sometimes I'm like, I literally say this. It's just the truth. I will say, God, I want that to be true <laughs> because it's so declarative. It's so definitive. And as I'm singing it, I know in my heart, this is not exactly how my life always is. <laughs> And then the honesty starts to flow and I turn that worship song into a prayer. I go, Lord, I sure want this to be true. I ask you to make this true in my life. I, see, now what I did is I'm making a request. The song, the worship brought me to a place of request. You see how it sort of sets up the request. That's spending time with God. That's the elements of prayer that feed into this. Now, most of these things that I mentioned are considered prayer by the majority of Christians, but I actually think it helps us 
in our depth with the Lord to understand them differently and that they all have a power in, in and of themselves as we have more robust relationship with the Lord. The illustration I would use is I spend a lot of time with Bridget. She's my best friend and, and all of the above. Amen, love you. I wanna just cut this short and go home. Let's go. <laughs> but we'll go out on a, on a date and um, we do different things, check-ins and whatnot when we go out on a date. But I don't spend the majority of our time going, hey, would you do this and would you do that? And hey, did you forget that? And would you do this? I mean, there are a lot of married couples that's, they get reduced down to functional roommates. That's not healthy. But you, you don't spend time with your loved one and just ask them to do things. There's encouragements that you give. There's affirmations that you share. There's questions that you ask and there's requests that you make. It's a relationship, it's robust. God wants that with us, but we tend to force it into like a religious box. One time I was helping out this church years ago and uh, it was a dying denomination, a dying church, and they asked us to come in and do, uh, help them with their building. And so we ended up starting an internship in that building, long story short. Um, I was sitting on, literally sitting on the steps of the altar in the sanctuary of that church. And I heard the Holy Spirit say something to me and it came right out of scripture, Exodus 33, 11, I won't forget it. And he said, I, want, it was, I was starting to pray. And in the middle of prayer, I was going down the religious road, hallelujah. You know, doing all the, in Pentecostals. So I, I, I'm not gonna go off in tongues in front of you right now, but I was going off in tongues, speaking in tongues. A lot of hallelujahs, amen. Father, I thank you. Just, just, I just, 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 I just. A lot of just going on there. Father, this, Father, you know, all this Jesus, Holy Spirit, didn't know, do I say, speak to the Father, name of Jesus through the Holy Spirit? You know, you just get, people get confused, you know. And as I was in the middle of all that, I wasn't even thinking about my relationship with God. I wasn't like focused or lasered in on being in his presence. Like I'm in your presence right now. I wasn't, it felt like a religious thing. That's, that's all I can describe. But see, I wouldn't have known it because I was just going down the road in my prayer life. And as I was sitting there on the front steps of the altar, I heard the Lord repeat, it wasn't exactly as I've memorized Exodus 33, 11, but I spoke to Moses face to face, like a man speaks to his friend. I heard that in my heart, just real loud. And I thought to myself, <laughs> what it did was it arrested me in the middle of a religious routine. And I recognized that what I was doing was not directly connected to who, who I was talking to. And I could step outside of that thing that was happening. And now all of a sudden, I started to talk to the Lord like he was right there because he was. And I stopped and I paused and I slowed down. And I was saying, Lord, um, wow. <laughs> Thank you that you love me so much. I dropped off all the amens and hallelujah. And all of a sudden I was talking to him like he was my friend. Now he's more than my friend, amen? But he wanted me to learn a lesson. He wanted me to step out of this box and start to talk to them like I had a real relationship with them. And this is where uh, one of the chapters of my book was birthed. I call it a real relationship. 
And I encourage you to do the same. I encourage you to take a step beyond, outside of your typical way of doing things and go on prayer walks or prayer drives and just talk openly with the Lord like you talk to somebody else, knowing he's the Lord. I'm not speaking a sacrilegious thing. I'm saying, but just stop all the other stuff. Open your eyes and say, Lord, thank you. I, I'm overwhelmed in your presence. Start to speak normal. Drop off all the other things and watch how your relationship with the Lord begins to develop in a fresh way. Well, that's what happened to me. And the reason that I'm bringing up all these elements of prayer is, and separating them is because I'm saying we want to build our relationship with God. And I'm saying sometimes we can do all these other things and never have really made a request. And so we want to know that there's a time to make a request as we spend time with God. But the second thing is we might pray and make a lot of requests, but we never employ any other biblical practices, worship, praise, thanksgiving, and, and not in a formulaic way, but in reality, like just ask the Lord to help us to develop into all these other practices, which bring life into our relationship. That's why the Bible has a lot to say about them. Did you know there's over 950 verses that talk about worshiping God in song? There's a lot of Bible about this. That's why it always irritates me a little bit when people say things like, well, worship isn't just singing songs. I go, we know that, but it certainly includes it. And the Bible has a lot to say about that. And on the other end of God moving in someone's life, you watch how they sing songs to God, songs of deliverance, songs of praise. And singing to me says something about how uncontainable our gratitude really is. A person like me, you don't get me to sing to anyone unless there is something that has occurred. There's a lot of us, it's the same way. So you're not gonna catch me just ho-humming here at church. It's not gonna happen. We come in to sing. And I, I wanna share with you just for a few moments about the context of prayer using Matthew and chapter six. I think it's interesting to me that Jesus, before he teaches his disciples how to pray, he teaches them how not to pray. He does this, it's a form of teaching. Actually, Jewish rabbis would employ this particular method as well. He continues it in his own ministry, obviously speaking of a greater and higher reality. When Jesus taught about prayer, he confronted two particular models that was common in the first century. And those models were first of the Jewish people and secondarily of those that were heathens and pagans who worshiped other gods. I'm not suggesting that they were equal and the same. I'm just saying those were the two prayer models. So they saw the, the Jewish leaders, particularly the Pharisees, because that's what's mentioned in Luke 17. And so when you look at the Pharisees, they even got to a place where they would show off. Jesus confronted that. They would pray loud prayers in the marketplace, Jesus says. And they were looking for a reward. They weren't really looking to talk to their father. They wanted people to think of them as spiritual. And uh, Jesus told them exactly what he thought about that. And then the other model was the pagans and the heathens and they would cut themselves and they would yell and they would babble. You remember what he says to them? Don't just go on saying the same thing like the heathens do, thinking that with their many words that somehow their deities will answer them. Your heavenly father knows what you need before you ask. So Jesus confronts these models and then basically gives them something entirely different, which sort of blows our mind. And he does it in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Look here at Matthew 6 and I'll start in verse 5. He says, when you pray, assuming that you will, you are not to be like the hypocrites, the actors, 
the fakes, the phonies, the imposters, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they might be seen by men. That's what they want. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. People are seeing them, but the Father's not hearing them. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you, and some translations say reward you openly. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. Remember, we just said this would be the heathens and the pagans. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. It was kind of like a babble is what he's referring to. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now that does not imply don't ask. That means ask, but don't keep asking like he doesn't hear you. Be confident that he knows what you need. And when you ask, he's gonna answer you. That's the point is to give them confidence. Jesus here redefines prayer, ultimately leading the disciples to this very special place, which you can't read here in Matthew 6, but you do in Luke 11. In Luke 11, the first verse, he starts out with this. The disciples come to Jesus and they say, teach us how to pray. They've watched Jesus's life. It's totally different from the other Jewish leaders. It's different from the heathens and the pagans. They've never seen a model of prayer like this before. And they ask him this question, teach us to pray. Remember, John taught his disciples how to pray. We want you to teach us how to pray. We really want to learn that. I bet they did. Of all the things that you could ask Jesus to teach you, would the top of the list be prayer? Lord, teach me how to prophesy. (laughs) Teach me how to preach. Teach me how to make a lot of money. No, <laughs> some people teach you that, don't they? Teach us how to pray. Here's some principles from the passage. Number one, I think he's saying establish a secret place. This is as a practice. We wanna, how do we establish our prayer life? Number one, establish a secret place. And this is what he taught and he modeled it as well. 13 times in the gospels, Jesus went off to the mountain to pray by himself with the father, 13 times. And those are the only times it was recorded. Some of those are within the synoptic gospel. So maybe it's seven total, but they got accustomed to Jesus going off. There were times in the gospels where people would ask the question, where's Jesus? And I bet you they probably were like, well, he's up probably up on the mountain. I think they got used to it. They got used to the one that they were following, having such an intimate life with his heavenly father that I, I bet you they no longer questioned it halfway through his ministry. It was just the busiest person on the planet always made it a priority to spend time with his father. Powerful. Establish a secret place. In the passage, Jesus says, go into your inner room and pray to your father in secret. An inner room was most likely a storeroom that usually was on the second story of a ancient first century house, or it was like an inner chamber Ancient homes were small. They didn't have doors. I mean, I know that's a strange idea. Don't go there fully, but just they didn't have a lot of doors. And families typically would even sleep in the same room, which is strange to, uh, to a lot of us, but that's how it was. Sometimes if you had more money and your house was a little larger, you'd have one door inside your home, an inner chamber. The word chamber would, would kind of mean like a, a master bedroom but storeroom would be what's up on the house and they would have a, a, a small wood door that could be closed so that they could keep whatever it was, uh, maybe some of their food or items that they needed to keep out of the elements. And so they needed a door so, so that they could keep those things a- away from wh- whatever would try to get in and, and, t- and take it or could destroy it perhaps. So Jesus is using this and he's saying, 
You need to go into your inner chamber or your inner room. Find a place that you can go where you can shut the door. Find a place where you can talk to your father in secret. And I've found that where you pray actually matters. I've personally found that. Like, I do not pray in my bed. I don't sit up in the, uh, now I'm not saying you do or don't do this. I don't care what you do. Establish a secret place. Do that wherever. This is not, I'm not teaching you legalism. I just taught you out of that last, this last weekend, all right? <laughs> it's not a burden. It's a blessing. Here, hear me out. The point, I don't, I don't sit up in bed and go, Father, I just thank you. The next thing I know, I'm going to be having a dream. <laughs> you know, I just don't pray in bed. I don't do it. I'm the type of person that's got to, I get, when I get up, I get up. I go for it, man. I don't, <laughs> I don't try to pray where I know I'm going to fall asleep. So I like to pray driving. I'm a driver. I don't get it. It's just who I am. So I like to drive and pray. If you can't afford the gas these days, walk and pray, amen? <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't know who to blame for that, but it's not the point. You know, just walk and pray, drive and pray. Earlier when I worked at a company, I used to drive down to the beach and I would park there and I'd love to just look at the water and I'd spend my whole lunch there. When I couldn't do that anymore because we moved places where the company was, I ended up parking in the back lot of... Fred Myers and my fellow employees used to call me the chaplain. I was in my really young 20s and they made fun of me. They're like, what are you doing? Because they would drive by in the back lot of Fred Myers and say, what are you doing parked there, man? You could park like in our own parking lot. And I ended up having to tell them, I was like, well, I'm praying and I want to be, I want to go there where somebody's not knocking on my door. And apparently they kept seeing me. And so what was amazing about that is when they learned that's what I was doing every lunch, every lunch break is that secretly people would start coming to me and ask me to pray for them. They started out making fun of me and calling me the chaplain when I was 21. And then they eventually would slide a little prayer. We call it, you know, they would slide into my prayer DMs. You know, they would, they would, could you pray for me? Could you send one up to the big guy in the sky? They did. These were not believers, you understand, but they saw me practice something that was foreign to them. And so they would ask me to, to do that on their behalf. Designate a place, find a place, amen? Find a place and a time. Second is shut the door. The inner room had the door. We, he, Jesus said, shut the door behind you. To me, this means shut ourselves in with God and shut ourselves out from distraction. I don't have to tell you that we're a distracted generation. We are. And in their world, their distractions were much more simple. People and, and voices, but now it's everything. Like you need to turn your phone off. You need to make sure that these things don't interrupt you. Put something on emergency mode and just do what you're there to do. Spend time with the Father. Listen to his voice. Make requests. Amen. That's what we're there to do. The most important appointment is with God. It's with God. There's a lot of appointments we might miss in life. We can't miss this one. It's not one we can miss. And so Jesus says, shut the door. And he really means that. I used to preach a message called shut the door. Amen. It was a good one too. Because it's important for us in our world, all these distractions, we have to learn to turn some stuff off. We might want to call that, turn it off. Turn off the devil vision. Turn off your phone. Amen. We want to hear from the Lord. So we have to learn how to do that more and more. It's real practical. Pastor Ben, I want to learn how to pray. Turn your phone off. Pastor Ben, I want to do that. Will you teach me how to do I want to, I can't do that. But I want to learn how to pray. You, sometimes you got to turn your phone off. It's, it's just real simple. I think Jesus was practical. And the third thing he says here in this passage is speak to God as your father. Look what he says, pray to your father who sees in secret. 
He knows what you need before you ask. He says it multiple times. He knows everything about you. He knows what you need before you ask, but ask anyways. What we do and how we do it is related to approaching God as a father. I remember one time I was tucking my son in. I might've told you this story before, but he was very young. Judah was very young. And I was tucking him in and I was, we prayed, we said, amen. I'm walking out the door and he says to me, he goes, hey dad, um, what's up? I'm walking, I, <laughs> I tuck him in, I pray with him. We say amen, and now I'm walking towards the door. And he goes, hey, dad. And I turn around, what? What's up? And I look at him and I go, Judah, what do you mean? What's up? What's up with you? And he goes, hey, just, you want to come, you want to come down here? And I'm like, okay. And I'm kind of wondering, like, does he have like something? I mean, what, he's like five at this point? I'm like, I don't think there's anything that deep to say, at the, you know. So I get down on my knees and I, and I get down and I go, hey man, what's going, what's going on? He goes, I just, I just wanted you to lay here next to me. And uh, yeah, and amen, that's right. <laughs> he goes, I just wanted you to lay here next to me. And uh, my heart went from like, what's he gonna say to like, <laughs> yeah, doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> yeah. Go back to those days, Lord. I want us to be with God our Father like my son wanted to be with me right then, right? Speak to God as your father. We were close. There was an intimacy. He felt comfortable asking me just to come down by his bed. And he just wanted to hang out with me. It's possible that he wanted to extend uh, the life of him being awake, but I'm just gonna go with the better narrative here. God wants us to be with him, to listen to him, and to ask whatever it is that is on our heart, knowing that it could be on his heart as well. And I, I wanna tell you today that how we see God affects how we come to him in prayer. How we see God affects our prayer life. How do you see the Lord? How do you speak to the Lord? How do you walk with the Lord? It affects your prayer life, it absolutely does. Maybe we're only living a public place Christianity and we feel like something is missing. That's because Jesus is calling us to a secret place, Christianity. And out of the secret place, we bring things from our relationship with God that gets contributed to the public place. If I don't have anything, if I don't walk into this room having a secret place with God, I literally have nothing to give. Like I have not, you have nothing to give. But if we spend time in the secret place, when we come into the public place or the gathering place, hey friends, listen, no matter where you work, let's call it the marketplace. When we show up at our workplace, if we have something with God in the secret place, we have a lot more to contribute to all of those spaces in our life because God is exchanging with us, whether we knew it or not, something is happening spiritually. And God wants nothing to get in the way of that. And I would tell you, we will be unsatisfied with our Christian life and a lot of other things in life if this is empty. If our secret place is empty, no man, no woman, no thing, no job, no accomplishment, no achievement can fulfill what was only designed for God to fill. Nothing can do that. Nothing ever will. And so there's this unsatisfied part of us. And I, I actually think that sometimes church becomes something other than it should be or was designed to be 
because we're looking to extract from it and from each other what only God can give. Now, we are called to contribute. We are called to minister. We are called to encourage and build each other up as the body of Christ. But we cannot get from each other what only God can give to us. And so if we're devoid of that, we will try to, in different environments, get something from each other that we just simply won't get. And friend, I would, I would tell you that you've got to look into that secret place and say, what's there? Jesus called his disciples to it. And I bet you they were a little baffled when he talked to them like this. It wasn't something that they were familiar with, but they did want to learn from him. Well, the last part of this that I want to talk to you about is the content of prayer, the content of prayer. And it really is the furtherance of Jesus's talk about this particular issue in Matthew chapter six. It's very practical. And I've always thought this. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray and what to pray for. And we simply need to do what he taught his disciples. Listen, you and I have been given a model for prayer. It's this springboard from which our, our life in prayer really should look like. And that is typically called the Lord's Prayer. It might be better referenced as the disciples' prayer because it was Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. The Lord's Prayer might be better stated John 17, where we get to peer, peer into Jesus praying to the Father. It's really, John 17 is such a beautiful passage of scripture. If you just wanna observe the prayer life of the Son of God, do that. But Matthew 6, we'll, we'll pick it up in verse 5. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. I've already referenced this. I'm gonna actually move down here. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard by their many words. Do not be like them. Your heavenly father knows what you need before you ask. Now listen, pray then in this way. Our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Some translations say from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I'd like to spend the next 10 uh, minutes or so just framing this up for us, okay? This is a very important prayer model. There are six petitions found here in this passage. Three of them relate directly to God. This is where he says, your name, your will, and your kingdom. And three of them refer specifically to us. That's where he says our daily bread, our debts, and our deliverance. So there's six prayers, if you want to frame them that way. Um, and they're related to God this way or to ourselves. And there's a debate um, over this about whether or not this is like a liturgy are we just supposed to pray, our Father art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I've memorized this, all right. I don't, are we supposed to just, is this a liturgy or is this a core competency for our prayer life? Is this just like an outline that is called to become expansive? And here's what I would tell you, it's both. The early church fathers taught us that this is one of the things that they would pray. They would pray, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be. They actually did pray that. This wasn't just Catholicism. Far before that ever was established, church fathers did pray this way as a liturgy, but they also believed in early church history that this was a core competency of prayer. In other words, that these bullet points that Jesus taught were meant to be expanded and expounded on in our prayer life with God. So it's really both. Don't you love that? We could satisfy the liturgical and the Pentecostal. I don't know. 
So whichever way that you slide, that's totally uh, fine. It's both. And so I want to break this down really quickly. Number one, we pray to our Father. This is the, again, we're talking about the content of prayer, what what we're praying and what we're praying about. We pray to our Father. He says, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. The first thing Jesus teaches about prayer is how to approach God. That's the first thing he teaches. And I would tell you, it's the most important part how we approach the Father. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Now, the question could be asked, did the first century Jews, uh, those that were Orthodox, uh, Jewish followers of of Yahweh, did they actually call God Father? Uh, The answer is yes and no. Collectively, you can actually find in the uh, Old Testament, Isaiah 63, 16 and 64, 8, where the Jews said, our Father, but they always said it in a corporate sense. That would be like me saying our father, but I never speak to the Lord personally and say, father. When I pray, I pray personally and that's how I address the Lord. So they never did the personal part, but they always did the corporate part. part. That's, that's absolutely the case. So what Jesus was doing was very different to them. I um, mean, we know that just from the Bible. Jesus made our relationship with our heavenly father a lot more real as he taught us these principles. And so it really is important how we come to God, how we address him. I don't know if you use the word father when you talk to God or dad or whatever, but I I think once in a while, you just got to think about father as dad, like he's our heavenly dad. I know it's sacrilegious for some people to even talk like that, but that's actually what we mean when we say father. He's, He's the father of us all. He's personal and he's so much more. But he absolutely, in this reference, wants us to become more personal. But I kind of love the way that Jesus frames this up and it keeps us in that place of, I don't know what else to say other than tension. He says, our father, hallowed be your name. The word hallowed means holy. Holy is your name. So our father, like you're personal and, and, and you draw to me hallowed, but you're holy and you're sovereign and, and, and you're almighty. And so it's like, he teaches us to approach God in this tension and this like, you're personal, but you are overwhelmingly God. Some people literally stay in this place where he is sovereign and he, you can't approach, like the way that you listen to them talk, it's like God is, it's too holy for us to touch him. But the other side of this is that Jesus was so personal that he actually invited us right into that, didn't he? If you've seen me, he said, you've seen the Father. Jesus wanted to help us see and know the Father. So our Father, hallowed be your name. That's prayer, friends, right there. Sometimes the fear of the Lord touches me when I pray and my words fail me. Sometimes when I pray as the fear of God, I don't mean like I'm scared of God, but the reverence, like just the sense of who I'm talking to literally overwhelms me. Have you ever had this happen? You're just overwhelmed. And you're thinking like, I can even talk to you. I can even talk, like you let me talk to you. It just overwhelms me. And my words are very few. That's what Ecclesiastes actually says. Let your, you are God in heaven. Here am I on earth. Let my words be few. It's a great song, but when you get overwhelmed with his presence at times, you go, oh, it, it, you, you aren't even able to sing the song. Our Father, personal, hallowed be your name. We approach God with both of these, and I just think it's a massive privilege. So, 
Speak to God like he's your father. Number two, we pray for God's will on the earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One time I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me in my heart. It was fairly clear. And he said, does my will happen in the world if you don't pray? It confounded me. Actually, I didn't say anything when I heard it, but I did hear it. He said, does my will happen in the world if you don't pray? And immediately I was drawn back to this passage where Jesus said, you're to pray this way, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why would Jesus tell us to pray for his will to be done on earth if it didn't matter? And this is where, you know, I would say the Calvinist, the cessationist, the Calvinist, <laughs> they all have problems as far as I'm, I don't know how you, anyways, I won't go into that, but uh, determinist and whatnot. I, I don't know how you get there or how you move on from there personally, but I do think prayer would be quite a conundrum uh, because when you, when you begin to talk that way to the Lord, I, I don't, I, as you're asking God to do something, to move as he's leading you to pray, at some point you, you kind of wipe your hands of it and go, well, you're gonna do what you're gonna do anyways. And so Jesus says, pray for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't, believe that he's just saying generally, like, Lord, we just pray for your will to be done. He wants us to discover his will and then ask him to do it. Well, what does the word say? Well, the word tells us a lot of what his will is. And Ephesians 5 says, don't be foolish, know and understand the will of the Lord. It tells us that we can know the will of the Lord. How do we know the will of the Lord? I'm so glad you asked the practice of scripture. And as we determine what God's will is according to the Bible, then we literally ask him to do it. Well, there's one thing that I pray for all the time. I pray that God would pour out his spirit. I pray that God would baptize people with the Holy Spirit. I pray for souls to be saved and disciples to be made. I pray that the church rises up in boldness to be a witness of Christ everywhere that they go. These are biblical things that God has commissioned us into. So when I pray them, I know that it is God's will that he would fill us in such a way and send us out to accomplish what we know is clear in his heart. And so this is how we know God's will. It's not that we're ignorant or unaware. We know God's will. And we, we can know it more the more we read scripture. Look at 1 John 5, 14. This is the confidence which we have before God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Look at this. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. I just love that. So and when you read that passage, what you have to do then is go, well, what is his will? Because if the Bible says that he's gonna answer my prayers according to his will, I've gotta make sure that I am praying the will of God. As we come into the prayer room, I love to inspire and encourage us without exaggeration that as we have prayed for God to move specifically, we have seen him answer accordingly. He has. We started praying that God would send people back to this church that went to the youth group, that walked away from the Lord or walked away from the church with some type of bitterness. I started praying that probably like eight months ago, something like that, that people that used to, young people that used to attend our, our youth, I wasn't here for that years ago. And I start, I've been meeting some. I had a guy walk in, um, he lives down the street and he walked up, he didn't give his life to the Lord, but he's been coming every Sunday ever since. I met him and he walks up to the altar and he has no clue I'm praying this prayer. He has no clue I'm praying, because I was only here for two and a half years, but I'm praying for people to come, you know? And the Lord put that in my heart. And he walks up and, and I, told, I looked him in the eyes and I said, you don't know this, but I've been praying for you. And he looked at me like I was crazy, because I am, because I am. 
He looked at me and was like, what? I said, man, I've been praying for you. And uh, it was all, you know, it wasn't like all up in his face, but I wanted him to know. Maybe you didn't walk in here thinking that you were prayed for, but you were. We asked God for you to come. We asked God for you to reconcile to him, not just to the church, not just to the church. I mean, if he finds another church, that's fine with me. But there was something special that the Lord wanted to do. He put it in my heart to pray. Listen, if we pray specifically, God will answer accordingly. Did you know if it's his will? If it's his will. We pray for his will. Now, I told you this story before. I'm going to tell you again really quickly. I have a few minutes. I'm going to make them, make them work. When Bridget and I were married, our, I adopted her two sons. It was an amazing privilege. They're, uh, at this point, I think they were uh, 10 and 12. We lived on 4th Avenue and Everett. You remember that? 4th Avenue and Everett. We're glad we moved. Amen. Cars with bass would ride by, just shake our windows. Guy lived next to us, bolt holes in his car. You know, amen. We prayed for his salvation. Anyway, so it was great, you know, because we got a little bit of that history. But uh, I I took a walk to Starbucks and uh, it was a prayer walk. Had to get some peace and quiet, amen, at 25 years old. Had to get some peace and quiet. Didn't know what it was like to, to raise boys. She did. You're a hero as far as I'm concerned. She did. Now I'm like coming along for the ride and I'm like, how did you do this? <laughs> I'm going to leave. And so I'm going to Starbucks. I'm getting an afternoon coffee. It's like, that's <laughs> all I knew to do. So the boys, our, our 10 and 12 year olds stopped me as I'm going out the door and they said, hey, where are you going? I'm like, where you can't go? <laughs> Jesus said, where I go, you can follow. I said the exact opposite to my boys. <laughs> where I go, you cannot come. And I said, I'm going to Starbucks. They said, get us something. I said, absolutely. So I came home and I had like a Frappuccino or something and I gave one a straw and I gave the other a napkin. <laughs> True story. And they said, what is this? And I said, you asked me to get you something and something I got you. <laughs> this is a lesson in prayer. You guys following me? Okay. And so the next time that I went to Starbucks, I want to tell you what happened. There was a shift that happened in our home. And they said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Starbucks. They said, will you get me a grande frappuccino with extra caramel, shaken, not stirred? You know, they went all James Bond on me. You understand? They never asked for a general thing in their life again. It was all specific. And I didn't think about it at the time, but I've used that as an analogy for prayer. We ask God for all this general stuff. We're always asking God, Lord, we just pray for revival. But what does that even mean? What are we asking him to do? Because it's assumptive that we even know what that means. And yes, God can translate it. But friends, I want to encourage you. Pray when you pray your will, your will to be accomplished on the earth, your kingdom come, your will be done. Know what you're asking God to do. I'm praying for young people that left our youth group as young adults to come back and give their lives to the Lord and watch some of them get put into ministry. I'm praying for that. That's God's will. I'm praying for people to get baptized in the Holy Spirit, to prophesy, to preach, to pray, to minister. I'm pr- let's pray specifically. And then when God does it, he's the one that gets the glory for it. Not some general thing that we're a great church. We're better than the church down the street because we're a little more exciting. We ask God to do something and God, sovereign God, almighty God, all powerful God did what we asked him to do. And nobody can glory, no flesh can glory in his presence when we know and everybody sees it. We asked him to do that. Isn't that great? We asked him to do it. That's the testimony. Well, I've out of, I'm out of time. The other principles are this. We pray for God's provision. He says, give us 
this day our daily bread. We pray for God's forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And can I tell you, when you ask God to forgive you and you live in repentance, it empowers you to forgive others. He says, pray that forgive us our debts as we also forgive. There's a connection that if we're unaware of our own sin, friend, I'll tell you, we're going to be insensitive to forgiving the sins of others. It's just how it works. But when you're aware of the sin that Jesus cleanses you from, it's an automatic response. It may not be easy, but you, I can forgive someone because he's profoundly forgiven me. And then we pray for God's protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let me ask you a question as we close this, because we do need to do that. Are you struggling with sin? Don't answer, it's rhetorical, just in your heart. Are you struggling with sin? I wanna teach you how practical this is. This is so amazing. Jesus gave us a prayer model that is so simple, everybody can get it. I like that about the Lord. Don't you love that? It's not like, hey, come into my inner sanctum where nobody can understand me unless you pay $29.95. I mean, he just didn't, he just didn't do that. He just broadcasted simplicity. And then he said, if anyone has ears to hear, what? Let him hear. He wasn't saying, do you have physical ears? He was saying, if anybody's willing to listen and respond to me, right? Watch what I'll do. It's simplicity. He broadcasted it this way. But at the end of this, this core competency of prayer, he says, pray this way, deliver us from evil, from temptation and from evil. Do you have a sin issue right now? Do you have a stronghold that you're facing? I wanna tell you bad news, bad news and good news. Bad news is you're probably not gonna defeat it on your own. That's bad news. Good news is Jesus gave us this prayer for a very specific reason that when you and I wake up in the morning, we can pray, Father, thank you that you're protecting me from the enemy and from the temptation of my own flesh. Thank you that you deliver me and that in Christ, I'm a new creature. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that I don't have to rise up and just try harder, but I'm surrendering to you, right? Do you have a sin problem? Why would Jesus tell us to pray for protection and deliverance if you and I just didn't need it literally every day? We do. I mean, we watch how people fall and, and sometimes we get amazed. Like, how did that person fall? How did that person fall into this? Friend, nobody fell into anything. You don't fall off a mountain unless you walk up that hill. What we didn't recognize was a person was walking up that hill the whole time with a smile on their face, deceived. And then when they fell off the cliff, we wonder how it happened. This is how it happens. We have to learn how to surrender and how to put ourselves into God's hands every day. And you know how we do that? We do that by, pr by praying. We make the request, whatever it is in our heart where we're stuck and maybe it's bitterness, maybe it's anger, maybe it's unforgiveness, maybe it's jealousy or pride, maybe it's lust. But if there's something that's gripping us, Jesus said, pray in this way, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You can know what the Greek word means. You can memorize this, you can have all that. But my question is, are you surrendering to God in prayer every day of your life, asking him to do for you and I what we cannot do for ourselves. That's what Jesus was helping us to walk in. I wanna give you a way to pray that's so simple. All I'm asking you to do is just walk it out. Talk to me, ask and keep on asking. Seek 
and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. There's a tenacity in the life of a believer to go after God and to keep going after and to be persistent and to not give up. And the only way you lose is if you give up. It's the only way you lose. Jesus taught these very simple principles because it's for all of us. I, I love prayer because I, maybe it is that I know I need as much or more than anybody. I, I don't know, perhaps that's it. But I also love seeing God work. Don't you love that? I love seeing God move. I love it when I see something happen and I go, there is no way that that could have happened unless God did it. I want our church, the foundation of our church to always be this. And I believe that it is. There's something, there's an anointing on Northwest Church, I believe that is supersedes people, pastors and leaders. It, there's an anointing. Pastor Steve used to call it the planting of the Lord. It's the planting of the Lord. There's an anointing. There's a saturation on the seed of this church. And I believe a lot of that happens and is accomplished because of prayer. And I think God is gathering us and not just wanting us to pray in the secret place, to be, but to be a people of prayer that learn and know and understand how to cry out to God together. Thanks for listening today. Pastor Ben's mission is to equip the church to impact the world. If you want to get connected, check the show notes and visit bendixon.org. From there, you can learn about Pastor Ben's other podcasts, the books he has written, Ignite Global Ministries, and the online Immersion Discipleship School.